So if I was going to do the word association game with you and I said the word submission, my guess is that the responses that I would get back from you, which I've had, I've played this with people recently about this word, was these were some of the responses I got. Disrespect. Doormat. Humiliation. Uh, loss of identity. Uh, almost no positive words were given in response to the idea of submission. It was just looked at as something that, whew, stay away from that because that is, you know, trouble. And the truth is, if it, not understood properly and not properly practiced, you know, submission can really become a, uh, a corrupt, an abusive sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have great value because almost anything that's really valuable and important gets misused, doesn't it? And every one of us here have experienced good things that were misused. And, and I don't think there's any of us here that haven't misused good things ourselves or had other people misuse good things against us. So people said to me, inferiority, abuse. Somebody said 50 shades of gray. And uh, I, I noticed they're not here today, and I think they should listen to this message today. It would probably help them when the, the word submission comes up, and that's what comes to your mind. You need to be in a church more often. Uh, so last week we talked about, we started this series on spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are practices that we can choose to do, that we have the power to do, that help us to do what we can't do on our own. And the, the spiritual life is not a mystery. It, the spiritual world works just like the regular world. And if you want to learn how to play an instrument, you practice. When my kids practice piano, they play scales, they learn to play notes, and then keys, and, you know, and, and, and they built. And then eventually, they could play songs by choice that they couldn't ever play before. And it works like this in any area, learning a language, uh, running a race. You have to practice. There are, there's training. And so, last week, the takeaway line, I hope somebody remembers it, what was the takeaway line? Transformation comes from not trying, right? We've all tried. You try and you fail, and people start faking it, or they just chuck it. And we all know that we've gone through those stages ourselves, and we know plenty of people have gone through it who who just sort of say, I just can't do this. I don't know why I can't. Everybody around me looks like they're doing well. I'm not. Well, probably there's a fair number of people around you who are faking it because almost everybody at some point discovers these spiritual disciplines because they're practiced widely. They're part of the church for 2,000 years. Jesus taught us all these. But we were hit and miss about it. And so what we decided to do was to take Lent and instead of asking everybody to give up chocolate or something else, which is in itself a spiritual discipline, but what you know, we've lost in the, the idea of what spiritual disciplines are in the church. And so we've dumbed it down to the point where it's just about giving up chocolate or sweets or you know, whatever. 
which is all a form of fasting, which is in itself a, spiritual, a very powerful spiritual discipline, which, which people who give something up for Lent experience some of the benefits of fasting. But there are a whole range of spiritual disciplines, and so we're going to introduce six of them during these six weeks of Lent. And hopefully, you will take the, uh, the outline each week, and on the flip side, you will see each day a passage that you can use to explore the spiritual discipline that we in, introduced on Sunday that you can apply in your life and you can begin to see the benefits of this. So today I want to introduce the spiritual discipline of submission. Submission. Uh, in Ephesians 5.21, Paul writes to the, to the church in Ephesus. He says, Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what I want to do is I want to start there and I want to explain what the spiritual discipline of submission is and then show you how Jesus modeled it and then take you to a benefit, okay? Uh, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's just take those sort of those three little phrases and break them out, unpack them. So the word submit in this passage uh, is a Greek word that means to yield your right to someone else, to yield rights that you have to someone else. And as Jesus and the early church leaders taught, it has to do with yielding your rights for the benefit of someone else, okay? And it's not demanded of you. It's not forced out of you. It's done willingly and freely out of love. And this word to submit, again, it, 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 it tends to be uh, used in, in hierarchical situations, but what Paul is doing here is he's taking it in a radical direction. And what he says is, because all of us submit, we all, we all know submission is a part of living in any community, that there are uh, positions of responsibility that, that we respect and we listen to. And uh, the, the submission is structured throughout our lives. Every red light is an opportunity to submit. And submission makes our, uh, good submission makes our lives work well. And so it's not a, a completely foreign concept, but one of the bad things about the idea of submitting is we Americans, and most everybody does this, we all have this little thing that I'm, I'm either going to disregard or disobey whatever I don't agree with or don't like, right? I submit as, as little as I have to. That's, that's the typical approach that we have to the idea of submission. I submit as little as I have to. But what Paul's saying here, and what you're going to see is grounded in, in the way that God made life to work is, Submission is supposed to be this joyful thing. That is, I'll show you in a second. It gives life. And so he introduces this radical idea here. Don't just submit to people who have responsibility. Policemen, etc. Bosses. Submit to everyone. That, that word there in Greek means everyone. When it says, submit yourselves to one another, that Greek word, alalon, it means everybody you meet. 
And most of us have the concept of submitting to in certain places at certain times, and then the rest of the time we're, we're, you know, we're a free agent. We do whatever we want. But Paul's introducing this idea that that is not the way to find life. That we find life when we recognize the opportunity, and he says here, out of reverence for Christ. And he uses this word, the word reverence there is this Greek word phobos. Now, where do you think a, a word, what's a word do we use that, that is derived from phobos? Phobia, fear. But the way it's used in the New Testament, now you, gotta, I, you guys, I really need you to listen to me here because this, this is the key. If you don't get this, I got to stop. The way that that word is used, the context you find it in in the New Testament frequently is whenever Jesus would do a miracle, the people would be in awe. They would be in phobos. What Paul is telling us is when we engage in the spiritual discipline of submission, we discover that we live in this God-bathed world where God's presence is all around us. And when we submit, we do it because Jesus showed us that as an example, which we'll see, but we also trust him that in that moment, submission as a spiritual discipline opens up that God-bathed world and God breaks in. And he impacts the person to whom we're submitting, and he impacts us and others. Now, it isn't always, it can be, and we're going to have someone tell their story here later on in the talk, but it can be quite dramatic. But oftentimes it's just this quiet, powerful thing that shapes us. So, Submit to one another, yield your rights to others for their benefit out of respect for Jesus. And as I, as I said on your outline, when out of respect for and trust in Christ, we willingly yield our rights as a lifestyle for the benefit of, the, of others, we invite Christ into the present moment, making room for him to powerfully work in and through our lives. So submission is this opportunity for an awe moment, a oh, God did something here moment. So let's look in, at this in action. In John 13, if you don't have a Bible, there, there are Bibles underneath the chair seat in front of you. And I want to read this passage to you. And we, there's a lot here. We're only going to look at part of it. But it's the famous passage where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And it is the, it is the perfect, in fact, it's probably the, the paradigmatic example of what we're talking about of submission. John 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. So he, he took on the role of a servant, the household servant who washed feet. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And in Greek it says, Lord, you, me? That's literally what it says. So he was going, no way. No. Which is, Peter three times in the gospel says to Jesus, Lord, no. Does that, <laughs> does that sound weird? Does that sound like that? Those two words are not supposed to be in juxtaposition, are they? But how many times have you said that in your life? In effect, if you didn't utter it verbatim, did you say, no, Lord? <laughs> right? No. Well, Peter did right there. And so Jesus, though he loved him, Jesus sort of gave him a little straight talk. And he said, you don't realize now what I am doing, but, you, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's got, he, he got it. He, he jumped in. He got a little carried away, but Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body's clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Now, this is it. So you have to stop. Follow this and pay attention because this is what he's saying to you. Do you understand this? What Jesus did. This is about submission. Do you understand what Jesus just did? Or is this just going over your head? Is it going in one ear and out the other? Because Jesus, he didn't take it for granted that they got it. And it was so important. Now, you got to think about something before I read the rest of it. This is the night before Jesus was arrested and then the Passover, I mean the Passover and then Good Friday and he, and he was killed. At the end of your life, he knew this was the end of his life. You're only going to talk about the most important things. The most crucial things. You know, there's all kinds of songs that have been written about people who realize how brief their life is. And maybe they're facing something that means the end of their life is much short, closer than they imagined. And they talk about how they began to make peace with people. And they began to you know, uh, value everything more than they did. Well, you, Jesus always valued every moment, but you know at this moment, he's not on a rabbit trail. He's talking about some of the most important things that they need to grasp. And so what he's doing, he's doing purposefully. And it's really important. So he says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So there's his point. You're supposed to do this. I've done it for you. Now you're supposed to do it as others. This is supposed to be a lifestyle. Then he says, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So the situation is, Jesus is at a meal the night before the Passover. And at that meal, the meal, it says, is about to be served, and nobody's given the guests the courtesy of washing their feet. And in, you know, in their community, they didn't have paved streets and sidewalks like we have. It was muddy, dirty, animals travel where people were. You come into dinner, and you come into someone's home, you're invited over. Uh, it was just a courtesy to wash someone's feet. Well, for whatever reason, no one's washing their feet. Maybe there's no servants. Maybe the servants are busy. Maybe the, the head of the household is sort of forced to, to host this group, this sort of controversial group. We don't know why, but for whatever reason, nobody wanted to do the dirty work. And so the meal is being served. And Jesus looks at this and says, this is not good. He gets up and he takes off his outer cloak. He, he takes the servant's towel, wraps it around his waist and starts washing everyone's feet. Now, there's no record here, and I don't believe Jesus, he, he isn't going, oh man, why do I have to do this? You know, you lame disciples of mine, you know, he didn't grumbling at the host, he didn't grumbling at the disciples, he's just doing it, because it says he, he is motivated out of love. He's showing them the depth of his love. So submission and love are connected. They're connected. They're they're absolutely connected. You cannot disconnect them. There is no submission without love. He, it says, does this because he loves them and he knows who he is. Another thing about submission, which we don't have the time to explore, is Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He was grounded in his identity. And because he was grounded in his identity, submitting himself didn't diminish him. And my friend Terry Wardle, we were at a conference recently where he did this brilliant, simple explanation where he said the world we live in prepares a table for us and God has a table for us. And he said at the world's table... For you to go to that table, you have to have power and prestige and possessions. And he quoted someone who, I forget who, who I mean, there's lots of things that the world demands to eat at its table. But he said that God has prepared a table for us. And he had this, I forget who the, uh, the medieval painter was, but he had a, there was a screen and he had a picture of this medieval scene and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were at a table. And at the square table, they were around three sides of it. And then there was a bowl. 
and a place for us. And his point was that Jesus has done what it takes, which we all know this is what grace is, that when we receive Christ, we get a new identity as a child of God, that it's settled, that we can come to this table freely, even when we don't deserve to, which is always. We can freely come to that table and come into the life of God. The communion table is supposed to be another picture of that. And so the table of the world demands everything of you and gives nothing. But Jesus gave everything to you and he gives it to you freely. And the whole issue of submission is, depends on us understanding who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ. And I'm grateful that, that Steve and Greg are going to have this class, this, uh, this group for a while to talk about that because we try to explore that idea. But that's something, if, if, if you struggle with submission, that's one of the issues that you probably have to wrestle with is you feel like submitting to somebody else freely out of love and yielding your rights and somehow diminishes you. It didn't diminish Jesus. And you may say, well, that's Jesus. No. His whole life was about serving people. So that's the situation. The lesson he gave them was simple. As I've served you, as I've submitted to you, as I've yielded my rights, I stop my meal to take care of you and show you kindness and hospitality and love, which you all appreciated. And I even washed Judas's feet, even though I knew what Judas was going to do, which is a shocking point not to overlook. And he just said, we're supposed to practice submission as a lifestyle from, from an attitude of, of love the way Jesus did. And so the promise now, this is the thing he says here at the end, the last word, which sometimes we kind of just skip over this. But this is the thing I, I mentioned earlier out of reverence for Christ. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. God promises to bless us with his presence and his grace when we practice this spiritual discipline. It positions us in intimacy with God. Now, you may think, when I'm yielding my rights to someone, in that moment, I don't feel real intimate with God. Because maybe you're yielding your rights for the good of someone who is a very difficult person. And they're demanding, and you know, they want more than you're even giving. And it doesn't feel like there's any awe moment there. There's not a, wow, God's here kind of, you know, Holy Ghost goosebump moment. But there wasn't Holy Ghost goosebumps on the cross for Jesus. But the power of God was manifested there beyond anything anybody had ever seen before because it's, it was this principle. Over and over and over, the Bible says, if you humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, in due time, he'll lift you up. And over and over and over, the Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That is a profound truth that 
that is the foundation of this idea of submission. That if we yield ourselves and we yield our rights for the good of others, joyfully out of love, it says that a blessing comes from God that takes different forms. I think, as, as, as Richard Foster said, the greatest blessing we get out of submission is we increasingly are freed from the toxic burden of always having to get our own way. Do you understand what a burden that is? There isn't any of us in this room that don't know the trouble that that desire inside you that's so deeply ingrained in you, when it emerges in a moment and you demand what you want in that moment and you see the chaos that that brings, wouldn't it be great to not have to be under the tyranny of that? When you practice submission as a lifestyle, that burden begins to lift off your shoulders and you begin to be more and more free out of love like Christ to not live under that tyranny. And many of you have prayed, God, change me. And now God's answering your prayers. He's showing you how he changes you. That he's going to change you little by little and sometimes even in significant jumps in these moments. And in Philippians 2, Paul wrote again to a church and he said this, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, this attitude of submission, of willing submission, should be the same attitude that Christ had. And then he cites what was a song, scholars tell us, what, what we read here in Philippians 2 was an early hymn that they sang about this because it was so profound. Because people experienced when they believe in Jesus and in his radical way, based on... on this truth, which is found in this passage, they, when they empty themselves up, they find God lifts them up. And Jesus said, didn't he, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even in John, he said it in another way. He said, if you hold on to your life, you will lose it. The burden of always having to have your own way will crush you. you will, it, your life will collapse under the weight of always having to have your own way. Some people manage because of circumstances in life, because they're smart and they make more money. We insulate ourselves and create a world where we can always get our own way. That's the worst world. That's hell. To always get your own way is hell. But that's what happens to us when God blesses us and we misuse it because we don't believe that there's a better way. And the way of Jesus, which, which Paul says here, he says, have this attitude, the attitude of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even to death on a cross. And so it describes here seven steps of emptying himself and taking the form of a servant that Jesus took. He didn't just die. He died the worst humiliating death that that human beings could conceive of. And the next verse says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a amen. (laughs) That is in there. Amen. And so what we see is this pattern that in, in the universe... The world we live in, there is this pattern that says if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. And Peter adds, because Peter experienced this, and I think it's it's brilliant that he said this. I'm so thankful. One day I'm going to meet Peter. I'm going to say, thank you for that. Because other writers didn't say that. And when I read what you wrote, it really helped me. Because he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. (laughs) Right? And that gap of the that means there might be a little delay (laughs) right like I pray and then I go online to to check where the package is (laughs) where's the tracking number for that prayer Lord it's it's stuck in some hub in Tennessee and when you humble yourself there isn't going to be, I just got to tell you this, this is the fine print of this message. There is not going to be a drone that drops exaltation on you one minute after you humble yourself. Someone shot down the drone with that package. One of your crazy gun-toting neighbors shot the drone down because they thought the drone was after them. The government was after them. That's how it's going to feel when you embrace this as a lifestyle. And everything in us pulls away from pain. Because part of that's an instinct. You know, there's literally a part of your brain that's part of your autonomic nervous system, or as they call it, the reptilian brain, where when your brain senses a threat, you fight it, you run from it, or you freeze. And have you ever seen that? You ever seen deer freeze? The headlight, you know, just before you hit it. <laughs> you ever done that before? They, they, the deer hears the tires screeching and it goes, all the other deer are running. I don't know what to do. <laughs> That's the last thing the deer thinks. Uh, I went through a herd of deer once, so I know what that's like. Going out to a friend's house who lives out near Marysville. A whole herd of deer just out of boom, just drove across the highway, and I, I didn't even have time. I just went through it. And somehow there was a gap. And literally, when I got to my friend's house, there was some deer fur stuck on the front of my bumper, like the little cover caught one of the deers. The deer, like its little hind leg or something, a little bald spot in the deer. We freeze when we face pain sometimes. But most of the time, we pull away from it. And so... You have to arm yourselves with this purpose. This is what 1 Peter also says. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
And you may go, well, I've suffered a lot. I haven't ceased from sin. When we suffer purposefully and willingly and we stand before God and say, God, I'm going to look to you. This is hard to do. God does a work in us. But sometimes we have to wait for a while before the cross for the Lord to lift us up and to draw us out of that place of pain, that place of suffering, that place of difficulty. And what happens with us a lot of times is we can't, we don't have anybody there with us or we don't know that we're going to have to wait a little while. And so we short circuit the process and we only get minimal benefit. But these passages, let me tell you, these passages, they're just, the, the Bible is littered with them, say this principle. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Do you know why they say that? You may go, I've wept all night and joy didn't come in the morning. Because we're not weeping before the Lord and looking to Him and saying, I'm, hum- I'm not just suffering, I am suffering before you. I'm suffering before you. I have to, I'm waiting on you. I'm looking to you. Now I want to uh, invite somebody up. Uh, I don't have the microphone. Paula. I want Paula to tell you her story because we have to suffer in a lot of different places and we have to submit in every dimension of our lives. And Paula has a story she told me last week about uh, submission and work, which is probably the main area of our lives where we're going to face this. Come on up here. Is this on? Uh, not yet. There we go. Now it's on. There you go. So tell us that story. All right, I'll try to do this really quick. And there's two pieces to it. And it's really important that you hear both of them. So John was talking about submission being training. All these disciplines are about training. And it really is. And that's really what this story is about. Um, Because I don't submit very well, especially to speed limits. And um, until the police show up. And then I submit really well. But um, about this time last year at my previous employer, there were some changes going on, and I was ready to step up and take some new challenges and some new opportunities. And I made my boss, I love her to death still, <laughs> I made her well aware of that. And so then, you know, I started hearing the board talk about hiring somebody new and giving a pay raise, which I really needed. And, and the work that we were doing, I loved. We were serving the poor. I was helping administrate... Um, admin coordinator for a free clinic here in town and it came from my heart and I wanted to stay with that organization and so to make a long story short I figured out it wasn't me it was somebody else and it was painful so there are times when submission especially early on is painful and yes interestingly enough I was upset John and Jean heard all about it and um, I was very upset and I went to the Lord with it and here's what he said to me you're to go to work, and you're to do your job, and you're going to get paid for it just like you have been, and you're going to wait six months. I'm like, really? Okay, fine. So I submitted. Interestingly enough, I got as much joy from my work as I ever did. I would go. Things started changing. I thought, okay, new opportunities coming. Here it is. The Lord's going to bless me. He's going to give it to me. Nope, passed me by again. The person who did get the promotion, she started coming to me, asking me how to do the job. I was training her how to do it. That was a, just, you know, it just burns you up inside. And I was going, really, Lord? And he kept saying to me, Paula, 
six months, watch, wait, do what I've asked you to do, but do it with joy. And so I would continue to do that. Make a long story short, um, I got a phone call one day. Somebody said, we think you'd do really good at this position in another organization. Would you interview for it? Would you, you know, put in application? Sure. Ended up putting in two applications for two jobs, got two interviews, um, two job offers. I ended up taking the one that talked to my heart. And I remember going back to my boss, and I told her about it. And, you know, she said, you know, well, you're climbing the corporate ladder. And when I looked at her and said, no, it's a lateral move. There was no climbing the corporate ladder. She was as shocked as probably I was. This was not about God blessing me or making me climb some corporate ladder. It was about my learning, about my learning how to submit, to do what God's given me to do, even when I wanted more, even when I wanted something different. And so here I am in my new position in a very large healthcare organization here in town. Every week there's job postings. I could apply for them. It would stretch me. It would grow me. Certainly I need more money. But yet there's something in my spirit that God is saying to me still. Wait it out. And this time, I'm not so anxious about it. This time, I'm actually okay with it. I'm, I'm an admin. I can admin in my sleep. I know that I'm ready for more. And yet God's telling me, just hang on and just be patient. And so it's a learning process for me. Um, and it is true that sometimes the submission, initially for me, it, it's, it's often typically, about pain for me, because I don't like to be told what to do. I never have. <laughs> um, but this time around, the Lord's showing me that it's okay, and I'm at peace about it. I'm, I'm not in a, I'm still in a place where I can serve people and help people and love people. God's given me that much, and I'm thankful for that. There is a, um, Richard Foster, wrote a book, Celebration of Disciplines, which is an amazing book that talks about many of the things John's going to be talking about. But to give a little plug, if I might, his son, Nathan Foster, actually updated it with some more modern examples of like what things that we're going to mm -hmm. be talking about. And my daughter had him as a professor this past fall in school. She's 21 years old. And she said, Mom, it's one of the best books I've ever read because she said it's taken the things that she's known all her life and she said, it's helping me rethink it in very practical ways. So I would just encourage you to take a look at that. Good. Thanks. Here, take this. So this whole thing is predicated, submission is predicated on the fact that we live in this God-bathed world. And you may think there's some situation that is a God-forsaken situation. It's not. God is there. And uh, I like to say one of, one, of, one of my passions is, is to be a trail guide to people to point out to them where God's at work or help them to see where God's at work. Because people, like in this story, 
people tend to look up and think, God's, I can't, I'm not close to God because God's so great and so different. They, they missed God here because he was so low. You see it? We, he's just here. He's here. He's in these moments. And the submission is like, it's this, it's this key that it's, it's painful to hold on to and to turn. But when we turn it and open it, oh, God's here. But it, it, it usually we don't, we don't step into this because, one, we're ignorant of this. And so, like I said last week, you're, you're, you're no longer ignorant of this anymore. Two, we're, we're prideful. We're prideful. And unfortunately, our pride is, is a deeply ingrained thing in us that, that came through the, being born into this world and then being part of a world that's programmed that way. It's like, like Peter. He said, no, Lord, I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not, I see you humbling yourself. I'm not going that way. Because even among the Jewish people who were nurtured by God himself, who, whose God's address in the world was in Jerusalem. Not that he wasn't everywhere, but he had said, I'm revealing myself to the world from this, to, among the stubborn people. They still bought into the lie that you got to have power and possessions and all kinds of other things to sit at this table. God says, my table doesn't require any of that. But pride will keep us away. And a lot of times pride is also insecurity. Insecurity keeps us from humbling ourselves because we think something's going to be taken from me, which is then there's, there's fear on the other side of that insecurity. And I think... It's possible that, that some of us here, the biggest hang-up we have is that fear because everybody gets let down. We all let people down and we all get let down. But this, the promise that Jesus makes in this for us is really profound. The early church was a minority in a majority culture and they were persecuted for their faith. And... Once when Paul, who wrote this letter and who was so keenly aware of things because of his experience, he was on his way to persecute the church and Jesus stopped him on the road and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul came away with this after that experience. His theology flowed out of that. He saw that that you are important to God and that Jesus is going to advocate for you. And, and he may not protect you at times the way you want, but he is suffering with you. If at times he asks you to suffer, he is suffering with you. Because there's one thing I know, one thing I was taught as a young Christian, that the pain you feel for someone else is proportional to how well you know them and how much you care about them. And there's nobody that God doesn't know perfectly and there's nobody that God doesn't care about perfectly. And so if, if you're suffering, you're not suffering alone. He's suffering with you. Even if you're completely un, unaware of that, He is suffering with you. 
And there's going to come a time where he is going to stand up and advocate for you. He's going to defend you, he, he, and he will provide you. That's this promise that Jesus comes into us. He knows the path he's called us to because he's walked it for us. So I want to ask you before you leave today just to, to pray with someone. If you're stuck in fear when you consider the idea of, of embracing submission as a way of life, when fear, and it's a legitimate fear, the idea of opening, of, of yielding your rights for, this, for the good of someone else, anyone, I mean, it, it says everyone, but for some of us, there's particular one, a particular one or ones or type, right, that we find it scary to consider Submitting to that person, those type of people? Because in the back of our minds, we have the memory of disappointment, of, of being let down, of being hurt. And that part of your soul, the memory of that, exerts a very powerful influence. And, and it will channel you away from something that's good for you. Now, th this whole thing can be, this whole thing of submission is tricky. I, I said earlier that it needs to be properly understood and properly practiced. And, and people tend to get themselves in situations where they think I'm supposed to submit to this very abusive situation. Not true. But I don't have time to, to nuance that. I'm just telling you, there, there, there's Q&A that probably needs to take place. But generally, most of us, that's not the situation we're in. We're called to submit as a way of life. To government, at work, to friends, in the church, family, to the poor in the world. Because giving the poor something is not submitting. Submitting is where you bring them into your life, where you, you wrap their life and your life together. And it's good to help people. It's good to give people food. It's good to give people money. But the kind of submission that Jesus did was he entered into suffering. And he, and he lived with them in it. And that's a lot harder. And we, we avoid that kind of thing. So each of us are on a different journey here today. And when you walk out of here, you're, don't compare the journey God's got you on with, with who you might be married to. There, there's clearly overlap there, but God's working with each one of us uniquely. And don't look at your family and someone else's family. It just doesn't work that way. You need to listen to God and say, God, where have you placed me and how am I supposed to practice submission in that context, in that field, and, and your little parish? Because it's a God-bathed parish that you're missing the glory that's there. If if you don't embrace this as, as a way of life. Uh, so the guys, uh, hey, Scott, come up and just play. You know, prayer, folks that help us pray, just come up front and stand here as I pray. And uh, I want to ask you before you go, this is a way you can submit yourself. And, and, and churches like the Vineyard all over, we close services with prayer because, yeah, yeah, you guys come forward. Uh, like small group leaders and, you know, prayer team people. Uh,
One of the ways that you submit yourself to God's grace is just letting people pray for you. There actually is an impartation of God's blessing and favor that comes. And we're not going to counsel you. I mean, you could, if you want to tell your story or say pray for this or pray for that, it's fine. All we want to do is just lay hands on you and say, God, answer this prayer, meet this need, guide them, uh, whatever it might be.